0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of the Treasure Island Baseball Network. The reigning American League division champions head into 2020 with their sights set on bigger things. This is the show that keeps you plugged into that pursuit with all the news,
1: moves, and more. It's the Twins Hot Stove Show, presented by Killabrew Root Beer, locally owned and operated. It's how memories are created and legends are made. And here's your host of the Hot Stove Show, Chris Atterbury.
0: Well, good evening and once again, welcome to the Twins Hot Stove Show. I am Chris Atterbury. It is the penultimate Hot Stove Show of the Year, brought to you by Killebrew Root Beer. Because today, CenturyLink Sports Complex in beautiful Fort Myers, Florida, camp began. Pitchers and catchers getting sweaty in that Florida sun. And we're going to hear from one of those catchers, Mitch Garver, as part of our program here today. We'll also check in with General Manager Thad Levine from Florida. What a week it was for the front office. Finally getting that Kente Maida deal done. Uh, we'll talk with him about the intricacies of that. Some health updates and some of the key figures this spring training, what Thad will be looking for over the course of the Grapefruit League season and much, much more. He'll probably have some one-liners and some big fancy words that will have us lunging for a dictionary before it's all said and done. So it's another Hot Stove Show brought to you by Killebrew Root Beer. Let's get to our baseball bulletin, shall we? Biggest news as far as the twins are concerned is that Bruce Dar Gratterall is now a Los Angeles Dodgers. The Dodgers sending this direction, of course, Kente Maeda. We talked about it last week. A lot has transpired in the last seven days. This was a PhD level lesson in why teams don't talk about trades until the physicals get completed course, now it's just a straight deal with the Dodgers. Twins also had to give up Luke Rayleigh, who was on the Twins' 40-man roster, a guy we probably would have seen in the big leagues last year if not for an ankle injury early in the season at AAA, going back to the franchise the Twins received him from in the Brian Dozier deal. Twins also sending a compensation pick to L.A. They get higher. Canargo, a young catcher, as well as $10 million reportedly from the Dodgers in the deal. So welcome, Kente Maeda, and we'll talk with Mitch Garver about that on a couple of different levels as part of our program here today. Another new addition to the Twins family, Miles Morris Adler. That's right, Daniel Adler and his wife Michelle welcoming their first son, Miles Morris Adler, to the world this past week, and that is a welcome addition to the Twins front office. As far as the rest of baseball is concerned, obviously it's great. The teams are back on the diamond. Uh, that uh, Teams are out in the sun. There's baseball to be talked about instead of some of the uh, off-season rigmarole but, of course, it's Major League Baseball, so they couldn't help but drop a news bomb yesterday leaking to Joel Sherman of the New York Post about a potential new playoff format, a potential reality TV show in which teams would pick their opponent. That has gotten some blast back from some fans. Some fans seem intrigued, if not happy about it. We'll discuss that issue with that Levine a little bit later on. In our program, so that is our baseball bulletin here on our penultimate show of the year. Let's go ahead and give out some root beer, though. Our what's brewing competition happens all winter long. It's brought to you by Kilbey Root Beer, where you play our game on Twitter each week, and the winners—well, the winners end up with a Kilbey Root Beer prize pack. As you know, a couple of weeks ago we didn't have a winner, and I told you we drank all of the uh, root beer here in the studio. Well, we didn't drink all of it. In fact, uh, we saved some of it, and because of that. And because we loved the responses we got to our question last week, we're going to give away not one, not two, but three Kilber Root Beer prize packs today. Our question was, as the non-roster invitees were announced, which non-roster invitee would have the biggest impact on the Minnesota Twins this year? Well, one of the answers was... I think Jolie Chassin has the biggest impact of the non-roster invitees. He starts the year in the rotation. Then when everyone comes back, he goes to the bullpen where his slider plays very well. And uh, that was from a Jake. Uh, and Jake, we think that makes a whole lot of sense. We also, though, think that Clay made a lot of sense when he said non-roster invitee Jake Reed, one of our personal favorites in a fine ukulele player could be a surprise contributor this year one of the only members of the AA lookouts 2015 title team yet to make a big league debut had bigger triple a strikeout per nine inning metrics last year than poppin romero or LaTel clay makes a good point also jake reed now side there's always room for a little funk in a bullpen side arming also still throwing mid to upper 90s so jake reed is a guy certainly worth cheering for could have an impact and finally Out of the left-handed pitching pool, Travis says Sam Clay will be the non-roster invitee to have the greatest impact. Saw his numbers improve dramatically in Pensacola under the coaching of Justin Willard. With Willard now assistant pitching coordinator, Clay will get his shot and capital E excel now i don't know if this is a justin willard burner account travis but we like your reasoning we'd like the depth that you guys have all gone to in terms of identifying reasons not just names but reasons for these non-roster invitees to make an impact so all three of you will be drinking Kiliber root beer on us now this is our last chance for you to win the killer root beer this year because next week is our final show we mentioned kente maida he wears number 18 Mitch Garber wore number 18 last year, and he has graciously said, number means a lot to Kente, I'm going to give him number 18. Now, we're going to talk with Mitch about this, but in Japan, number 18 is a big deal. It's reserved for the ace of a pitching staff, which is why guys like Kuroda, uh, Daisuke Matsuzaka, uh, Iwakuma, uh, when they come to the U.S., you see them wear number 18, going back to Hideo Nomo. So if you had to pick a number, what number would you want? If you could pick any number, you make your big league debut, what number would you choose and why would you choose it? To play our game, it's hashtag TwinsRadio. Uh, it is uh, at TwinsRadio via Twitter. Uh, again, our last chance to give away a Brew prize pack here in the hot stove season before we get into the actual baseball season in the summer of 2020. So if you were going to make your Major League debut, you got the call from Derek and Thad today. You could wear any number. You could request any number. What number would you pick and why? It could be the number of siblings you have. It could be the number you wore in Little League. It could be the number of your favorite player. Pick a number and tell us what it means to you and why you want to wear it. And you could be slugging down some killer root beer on us that's going to do it for our opening segment as promised we're going to catch up with mitch garver twin silver slugger award-winning catcher after his first day of spring training 2020 we're also going to hear from general manager thad levine it's all coming up on your home for twins baseball and
1: a pitch here hit well to center field long run still back and jumps up garver has tied it up
0: I believe that was number 31 as we welcome you back to the Twins Hot Stove Show brought to you by Root Beer and the man who hit that home run, Mr. Mitch Garver, now joining us after his first day at the office in 2020 from the Central League Sports Complex in Fort Myers. And Mitch, you remember that home run?
1: I do. Yeah, it was against Kansas City.
0: Yeah, and you had a lot of home runs to remember last year, and uh, as a result, you now need to make some more room in your uh, basement. You won a silver slugger. You had a phenomenal offensive season, and does any of that mean anything to you as of today when you turn the page and you begin 2020?
1: Uh, you know, it's it's something really fun to look back on. Uh, it was a great year. I, I think everybody who was associated with it has a, a ton of good memories uh, left from last year, and uh, it's fun to come into spring and see all the guys that you kind of did some damage with last year. And and I think, you know, we're all coll- co- collectively on the same page as far as wanting to get better and, and getting back to what we do best.
0: That is very well said. Now, in your offseason prior to last year, much was made of the work you did defensively. And it certainly showed throughout the course of the season. Tanner Swanson has moved on. I know you still are emphasizing a lot of the defensive uh, philosophies that you and Tanner had worked with in the offseason season. You also had worked on, as you said, doing damage, changing your approach a little bit at the plate to go out and try to be as impactful with every pitch as you possibly could be. What did your off-season look like this year compared to the year prior?
1: Yeah, it's, well, so last year I was learning a completely new move that I had never done before and we were trying to get it to where I, when I got to spring training I was more comfortable uh, catching pitchers and, and you know, being able to help them get the strikes that they deserve and uh, this year it's kind of about just feeling more comfortable we're trying to expand a little bit more and and get a little bit more creative on how I can receive some of these pitches uh, but you know we're 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 working on a lot of the same things that we've done before and uh, there's a lot of young talented catchers that we have as well and how Sevilla came in and um, so far it's, I mean day one was a huge success I think we got a lot of work done and um, you know, everybody's pretty comfortable with where we're at right now.
0: Now, one of the things about pitchers and catchers getting there first is that you get a chance uh, to, to learn some of the guys you're going to be catching. And this year there's there's several of them. There's guys like Homer Bailey, obviously Kente Maeda. We're going to talk about Tyler Clippard. Uh You've caught a lot of the young guys already. You've hit against some of the guys you haven't caught What's a timeline for that? Right, will you make a point of saying, hey, pair me up with Homer, uh, pair me up with Tyler Clippard early in camp so you can get a sense of, of how their ball moves and what they do?
1: Yeah, that's, that's the plan is to make sure we catch everybody before, before we get into a game situation. Sometimes it doesn't work out the way you want it to, and uh, sometimes you're going to have to catch a guy for the first time in a game, but that's okay. We're only in spring training right now, and we're, it's all about building relationships and You know, making sure they're all on the same page as far as the game plan. But each day we come in, uh, try to catch a new guy that I haven't seen before and, and, you know, introduce myself. I want to be comfortable with them. Uh, And I want to make sure that they feel comfortable as well. And then we all have the same plan going going into the season.
0: I always wonder, Mitch, when you faced a guy as a hitter and then you catch him for the first time, are you ever surprised? Like you have a plan against them and what you think they want to do when you're hitting against them. But then when you're receiving them, maybe are you surprised or, or, or not surprised at how the ball moves and the and the way they go about their business?
1: Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, this is my only my third major league season, so it hasn't happened too much where I catch a guy that I have faced before. Uh, but, you know, for example, Tyler Clipper, I think I have maybe one or two at-bats against him. And, uh, you know, I, I want to make sure that when I get in, you know, get behind the plate that, I have an idea of what he wants to do, what, he, what he's trying to accomplish, and what I'm trying to accomplish as well. And I always think that's kind of a cool thing about uh, catching new guys is you can bring ideas to the table that maybe they hadn't heard before or maybe vice versa where they have something that they like to do that I hadn't thought about before. And it's just, it's cool to bounce ideas off like
0: that. Well, you do, you did put him in your book last year. So you have one up on Clippard already. I checked and you, you put him on. the. Walmart I wasn't, team. I
1: wasn't going to mention it. <laughs> I wasn't going to mention it.
0: I'll, I'll be happy to, to do that part. Mitch Garver is our guest. It's the Twins Hot Stove Show for bonus material. Be sure to check us out wherever you get your Twins podcasts. And uh, speaking of making relationships, uh, Kente Maeda is the newest member of the organization. You announced earlier today that for the second consecutive year, you're giving up your jersey number um a very magnanimous uh, move on your part uh so a chance uh one to talk about that how that went came about and, and also for you to to debut what you're going to be wearing this year
1: <laughs> yeah it's actually the third year in a row because addison reed oh, came true. in in 2018 and took and took number 43 uh but yeah so i Kenta, Kenta's, uh group approached myself and and dustin morse was kind of our arbitrator here and and he you know expressed that he really wanted to take number eighteen and uh it's it's part of a Japanese culture and i'm you know I'm happy to do that for him if if that's something that he really wants to do and and the number means a ton to him I have no problem with that and, and like I just tweeted out not too long ago you know I want him to feel comfortable coming in and and if a number does that for him or just you know showing a teammate helping him out a little bit is is what he needs and I want the best version of Kenta Maeda that that he can be. So uh, we're happy to have him, and and yeah. So with that, I'll be wearing number eight this year. Uh, that was an available number. I think Derek Shelton wore it last year, and uh, you know it's it's a great number. It's uh, like I like I said earlier, it's it's Kobe's number, which is pretty cool to to even have that association as as a professional athlete. So I have that going with me. And I gotta look, get a little bit of Mamba mentality uh, when I wear that.
0: And the last twins catcher to wear number eight was Kurt Suzuki and he went to an All Star game uh the year that That's he right. that he wore number eight. So just to recap though, you started at forty three, Addison Reed shows up, you go to twenty three, and then Nelson Cruz shows up, you go to eighteen, Maeda shows up, you're going to eight. If you have like a ten year career, you're gonna be wearing double zero by the time by the time you hang it up.
1: That's what I was thinking. If I well, T C was wearing double zero. I don't know if he's switching numbers, but <laughs> if I uh If I were to wear just regular zero, I don't know that anybody's going to want to get that. So that might be the next one.
0: You might be the next Junior Ortiz. Well, uh, and again, as you mentioned, 18 in Japan's a big deal. I mean, that's a number that historically, culturally, is reserved for the ace of a pitching staff. Uh, So obviously 18, a big deal for Maeda, and good on you, Gar, for uh, for giving up a number. A lot of guys would say, hey, man, I hit 31 bombs in that number. Uh, But uh, you're moving on to number eight, and we're going to keep seeing you swinging and doing damage. Speaking of swinging, one of the little tiny changes that the organization made last year during spring training, which I thought was a big deal at the time, and I would love your opinion on whether you thought it was a big deal. Historically, catchers had to catch everybody, and then and only then did they get to stagger into the batting cage. That changed for the Twins last year. You, Jason Castro, all the young catchers, you guys could hit first and then get all of your catching in. Is that still ongoing, and how much of an impact do you think that did, in fact, have on you?
1: Yeah, it is ongoing. And we did that today. You know, we get out there before everybody else and we do our stretching and our throwing routine. And then uh, we hop on the field and, and hit some batting practice. And I you know, I think it translates well, uh, because by the end of the day, in, in, in the heat and in the sun, you're kind of wiped. And uh, the, at the end of catching bullpens, the last thing you want to do is go hit in the cage. So uh, it's cool that we can get out there and be fresh and hit. And then, you know, we can move on to some of our defensive work. And uh, I think it keeps everybody fresh and, and we get to have a little fun on the field because we're feeling good and trying to hit balls over the fence.
0: Well, on the last day of last season, you told Jason Castro, we need one more for the record and he got a hold of a ball and you guys established a new record for homers by a catching group in the history of Major League Baseball. Did you tell Alex, no pressure, let's uh, let's chase the number?
1: <laughs> no, I, I haven't even talked to him about that yet. We <laughs> We just got in the cage today for the first time and we were having a good time banging some balls around and... Uh, you know he he's going to bring some power to the table too and uh, hopefully we both stay healthy and hopefully we have career years and we can uh, lead this team to another division.
0: Do you feel different at all Mitch this spring as opposed to other springs just in terms of knowing how much big league success you've had entering this year?
1: Yes and no um, I always like to try to keep my feet on the ground and yes I had a great year last year but Everybody starts over at zero, and, uh, you know, it's, I want to stay really locked in on the process, which I, I thought I did a good job this off season. is really kind of trying to improve myself in one way or another. Coming into Florida, I want to improve a little bit every day during spring training to get ready for that season, and, and then, you know, we just start one pitch at a time, really. It's such a cliche to say that, but uh, like I said, everybody starts at zero. There is no batting average. Uh, we're all just trying to, to win ball ballgames and, and – be our own best versions of ourselves, and that's when the success comes.
0: That's very well said, Mitch Garber is our guest on the Twins Hot Stove Show. Is there a spring training moment, or is it a number of days, number of at bats, where your body tells you, "Okay, now we're we're into this again"? Especially as a catcher, because you just can't simulate. Being down in that catching position uh, over the course of nine innings, and uh, no matter if you took all the furniture out of your house and you squatted around a, a table to eat all your meals, you can't simulate it. Is there a point where your body clicks into your brain that okay, now we're good, we're in baseball mode?
1: Yeah, I think if if you if you really wanted to, you could go out there and you could catch seven or nine innings within the first few games. But the point is to kind of build up, and you want to reach that point the last week of spring training where you're you know you're catching nine games and then you might catch seven the next day and so you're going back to back and uh that's when your body kind of adjusts and gets into that full season mode but uh like i said we're start, starting super small caught my first bullpen today and we want to make sure that our legs are underneath us and and you know we're, we're preparing for the long haul really
0: you mentioned that everybody starts at zero and people are going to spend a lot of the spring saying well last year's twins last year's twins but you change even one part of a clubhouse and the whole feel of the clubhouse changes. And in a game where we try to quantify everything, there is an intangible personality meshing aspect to how a year goes. Last year, great vibe, start to finish. This year, some new personalities, some great personalities who've moved on. Is that part of the fun and the serious side of spring training, kind of figuring out how all the pieces work together?
1: Yeah, that's that's something that you have to factor in for sure. Um, You know, we lost a few guys that that were a big part of our year last year, like CJ and and Jonathan Scope, and those are guys that we're going to miss, and and Gibby as well. I mean, Gibby was probably the biggest clubhouse impact that we had uh, as far as consistency, but
0: uh,
1: it's always fun because everybody that comes into this clubhouse is is meant to play at this level, and we've all kind of been there before. Everybody's seen a few things in different ways, and uh, that's kind of the fun get together uh part of the the early spring training that you you have to get used to is meeting people, you know, asking about themselves, about their families, where they come from, what they like to do. Uh and that's where you build those relationships and you you start learning all these personalities and then as the, as the spring goes on, you start, you know, getting a little bit closer, a little bit closer and then by the end of the season, I mean, you you got a pretty tight knit group and and it seems like You've known a lot of these people for
0: a long time. Yeah, some good people coming into this clubhouse. Edgar Varela uh, taking over for James Rousen, who did such a great job. Mike Bell taking over the big shoes of Derek Shelton. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch those relationships evolve. Now, you also do, along with your wife, Sarah, and a lot of your teammates, a ton of charitable work, even in southwest Florida. I know you guys are active in your hometown of Albuquerque and also here in the Twin Cities, but you guys have a golf outing. And also, what's this... This bowling situation, you're going to bowl against Trevor May?
1: Uh, Yeah, uh, Sarah and myself are are going to bowl against Trevor and Kate May. um, And we're auctioning off, I believe, two or or four uh, different tickets to this thing. Uh, And basically what the money does is it goes to the Twins Wives Organization, which uh, gets thrown back into uh, kind of the Twins Community Fund. and, And the money is used to help families in need uh and, and a lot of things that the twins Wives organization does. So, you know, we're happy to do that. We're we're going to hang out with some fans, whoever wins the auction. Um, we'll have a have a nice little night doing that. And then actually tomorrow we have our, our regional cancer centers golf outing. So a lot of the players and, and staff signs up for that and we go out and we support the uh the charity that's doing that. And then and then on Sunday we actually have another bowling tournament uh and that's for kind of for the team and, and uh you know it's, it's just cool to see that because I think the Twins do a really good job of uh, getting out there in the community and helping out, and, and I think it's important. I know a lot of, a lot of my t- teammates think it's important as well.
0: That's great work you guys are doing, Mitch. I'm really interested to see how the bowling turns out between you and Trevor. Uh, I'm curious, on a scale of gutter balls to Mookie bets, where do you put yourself on the bowling, the bowling range?
1: Uh, I took a bowling class in college, and I actually got an A in that class, Woo. so I, I do know how to bowl, and I have my own bowling ball. It's not here in Florida, but I do have my own bowling ball somewhere.
0: All right. I'm going to have to go ahead and sign you up as a reserve on our bowling team up here in Minnesota, and then <laughs> when you stick around deep into the autumn this year, you can come out and sub with us. How's that sound? Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. I'll I'll get you a shirt and everything. Mitch, appreciate it. Great to have you back at the office, as it were, uh, and looking forward to another uh, great season across Twins territory. Thanks for your time. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Chris. That is the new number eight. That is Mitch Garver, Twins Silver Slugger award-winning catcher. This is the Twins Hot Stove Show. We'll chat with Thad Levine when we return on your home for Twins baseball. It's the Twins Hot Stove Show. It's brought to you by Killebrew Root Beer. Thanks for uh, Mitch Garver stopping by and uh, chatting after his first day back at the office and we are now pleased to welcome in a guy who's well he's in the office all year round twins general manager mr thad levine from fort myers and the CenturyLink sports complex now i know you're working all year round and in fact sometimes the off season for players is the busiest time for you thad but i have to think that there is a certain level of excitement and a certain change in the temperature when you get to actually report for those first day of workouts like today
2: It's remarkable. It's really, truly exhilarating. No other time of year would you get very excited about going out on the field and watching pitchers cover first base on comebackers and balls to first base. But today is that day. It's really the day that you see the teams starting to come together and galvanize. There's a lot of energy in the clubhouse, as you can imagine, coming off the season that this group had last year. There's a lot of young people in this clubhouse, which is really exciting. Some of our up-and-coming players who will end up playing at Fort Myers and Pensacola and Rochester and and ideally coming up to the big leagues at some point in the next year or two. So it's just a great melting pot of today's talent that will help us win in 2020 and, and tomorrow's talent that will help us win beyond
0: 2020. Well, let's stick with the melting pot and the chef analogy, because in the off season, you and Derek and your great front office, which now includes Miles Morris Adler, by the way, who uh, will be adding his brain power to your to your operation. You guys are tasked with putting the right people in the room and you had to replace Derek Shelton's expertise but also his personality and his relationships and similar with the James Rousen and Mike Bell is a wonderful guy and Edgar Farrell is an incredibly talented guy and you add players, but you can't really know how the ingredients mix until you turn the heat on. So are you curious now and do you almost step back to watch that process take place over the next several weeks and then of course on into the year?
2: Well I think I think what you're shedding light on here It's something that I'm not sure our fans really get to appreciate as much as we do, which is our jobs are talent development. We all think of that with regards to players and guys that will impact at the major league level. But in practice, we're also looking to cultivate skills of people who can work in front offices and who can be major league coaches. And so when we lost the three gentlemen that we lost this offseason, significant losses across the board for a variety of reasons, most of which you just highlighted. You, you look to the ranks and it's just really exciting to be able to promote two guys from within long-tenured uh, pitching coach at the major league level. Bob, Bob McClure joins the staff. And as you mentioned, Edgar Varella, a guy who has really established himself as a significant contributor throughout our minor league operations. And then to bring in the guy like Mike Bell, a uh, wealth of experience and knowledge from the Arizona Diamondbacks. But until everyone gets in the room, and they're shoulder-to-shoulder. You don't really have a sense of how it's all going to come together. As you guys can imagine, the fans out there, Rocco is just superior at putting people in the best positions to succeed. He creates such an open and sharing dynamic in the clubhouse. All of these coaches are thriving in that setting. The interaction we're seeing on the field is coaches talking to minor league coaches, talking to analytics guys, talking to scouts, and all of those conversations are happening right around players out in the open which i think is terrific as the players are really seeing that we as a front office and a coaching staff are using all the resources around us i think it further inspires them to do the same
0: our guest is thad levine twins general manager if you're listening to us via facebook live across our fine network this evening or maybe you're podcasting later for some bonus material welcome aboard as we christen the 2020 season uh with the first day of workouts in fort myers today It's been kind of a goofy week, and we've learned our lesson about exactly why nobody talks about trades until they are finalized. Um, But they do leak out, and the past week has been uh, a drama that played out in a perception land publicly, and then also behind the scenes where you guys, the Dodgers, the Red Sox, were actually working on the trade that eventually gets Kente Maeda into the Twins' rotation. I'll ask you this first, that is, is the way this trade went with the back-and-forth actually more typical of how trades work and it just became public more early because the names, uh, that, that were involved in it and the largesse of those names, or was this an unusual situation for you?
2: I think anytime trades have become a lot more challenging and and a lot more challenging. I think mostly because we are valuing general managers are valuing players more similarly today than maybe they have at any point in the last 10 years. So trades are challenging. When you include a third team in a trade, it certainly magnifies that challenge. So I would say this one was a little bit out of the norm, uh, just in terms of the amount of information that was out there. But your your point's very valid. Uh, Anytime a player of Mookie Betts, David Price, Kenta Maeda's value, those types of players are being traded, it's going to draw a lot of attention. I think maybe what was a little bit uncommon was just the fanfare around the the second names, the, the prospects in these deals guys who had yet to really establish themselves in the big leagues, certainly guys who are on a lot of prospect boards out there, their names were front and center as well. And trades are one of the most exciting part of our jobs. I think they're one of the more exciting things for tr- fans to track. I will say the the only downside to trades is when they become so public and you you sometimes lose sight of the fact that they're human beings involved. And the humanity of this is tough to balance because – the media has gotten such so good at ferreting these things out and announcing players' inclusion. And until a deal is really done, we, we aren't really in a position to talk to those players. In this case, we did just because the names were so public.
0: I know Maeda is a guy you've liked for a long time. What is it about him that makes him such an attractive addition to this club at this time. I know Rich Hill was on last week and spoke glowingly of his former teammate as a person with his work ethic and with his stuff. What have you seen of him uh and, and what does your group think uh, or makes your group think so highly of him?
2: well if you, if you look if you look at him just in the back of the baseball card, uh the one thing that probably misleads you is is the innings pitched, and as a result, he doesn't necessarily have in recent years, the the quantitative contribution that is consistent with a top-of-the-rotation pitcher. But if you look past the innings pitch and you look at such things as strikeouts per nine and ERA and hard-hit percentage contact rates, you'll see that this guy has been qualitatively a top-of-the-rotation pitcher. And one of the commitments we had made coming out of our experience in, in last season, uh, the, both the glory of the 101 Win season, but then on the you know the misfortune of the O three in the playoffs was a desire to attract pitchers that we believed could help us if we have a chance to play in the playoffs again this year to thrive once we get there. And so when you're able to add a pitcher who qualitatively has been so elite over the last handful of seasons, and furthermore when you have scouts who believe that you actually can put some more innings on his arm and as a result pump up the quantitative contribution as well and then you referenced it but the the people who we spoke to have been his teammates or chill first and foremost spoke of a competitor a fiery competitor and you see that in the playoffs when the Los Angeles for lack of a better term was using him as a super utility pitcher pitching him in the majority of games in some of the toughest innings you you, you realize that this is a guy who you think can truly elevate his game which is not something you normally say about a 31 year old pitcher who's clearly established himself we think there's another gear there. We think the player we're acquiring is qualitatively one of the better pitchers uh, who will be pitching in the American League this year. So we're ecstatic to add uh, Kent Maeda to the staff. Uh, we think we may have found, such as you can, a bit of a diamond in the rough for a 31-year-old right-handed pitcher.
0: Fans love to talk about trades. That's what fans do of all sports. And it's easy for them to talk about uh, move this guy, move that guy. You guys, though, have relationships. As you mentioned, there's a human side to this. Bruce all is a, a guy you know. You know and have watched grow up over the past several years. Uh, front offices also don't just toss around compensation picks, uh, you know, like, like nickels necessarily either. So these trades are, are not easily come to. Um, how many different heads get together in the Twins front office to finally put together the yes, this deal works for us on X number of levels?
2: That's a great question, and, you know, uh, just, just to peel back the curtain a little bit, as, as fans could probably appreciate, uh, we have very heated debates about these types of trades, especially trades when, that, that are including players such as Bruce or all Luke Raley, and then the draft pick, as you referenced, a pick that we really valued quite highly. So a ton of people in our group get to weigh in. Our professional scouts, our analytics folks, our major league coaching staff, uh, we've had players weigh in, in this case specifically Rich Hill kind of weighed in, not about the trade merits per se, but but the, but the about Kenta Maeda, and then our whole front office group. So there's a wide group of people who are discussing these types of trades. I can assure you it's, it's almost never uh, 100% on one side or the other. I think those are the trades that quite frankly scare you quite a bit because if they're, quote-unquote, the no-brainer, that probably means we're missing something because we're not going to assume that the other side – would be doing a no-brainer that would be disfavorable to them. I know what is often uh, rumored around, uh, you know, in this case, there was a lot of truth to some of those rumors. So not not entirely perfectly true, but a lot of it was true. And I know some of the fans' response is, well, we should just stand on ceremony and not put anything else in. And I think that was one of the more challenging moments in our careers because we did not value Bruce Dargraderil any differently uh, throughout the course of the trade than we did two weeks prior to the trade. But the reality was that his value did change throughout the course of this discussion. Uh, We had a choice to make. We could either stand on ceremony that we weren't going to change his value, and then we probably would not have been participating in the trade. Or we could go get the player that we thought could truly help this franchise take the next step in 2020. We chose to go that route. It came at a real cost
0: yeah big cost and good players uh but you have to give good players to get good players and we're going to see how that all unfolds as you stand on the threshold of another season uh, think back to your first spring training as the twins general manager Uh, how different are you as a gm right now are you Derek and the rest of your group as a leadership team and where is this organization as we talk today compared to where you were in terms of depth, in terms of getting things kind of the way you and Derek had originally envisioned them when you took the job from your first day on the job in, in your first spring training?
2: Well, you know, it's, it's, if, if I'm being honest in the assessment, when J- Derek and I got these opportunities, we literally went straight from our press conference to the general manager's meetings where we arrived effectively a day late. Uh, by the time we got down to spring training, you know, everything was just so new to us still. Uh, the facility was new. Uh, meeting some of the staff uh, for the first time, certainly familiarizing ourselves with the players who had been heretofore, videos that we had watched or statistical information that we had read or scouting reports that we had consumed, but now getting to know the, the people and all the resources that were around the team. So there was so much newness. It's an amazing process of the total immersion, how quickly you get caught up to speed. But here we sit our fourth spring training, and I think we feel much more like part of the fabric of this franchise. And that that truly is a blessing. But you walk through the door today, and and there's Joe Nathan, there's uh, Johan Santana, and these guys are geared up on day one (laughs) because they want to help out. And I think that just touches your heart and makes you realize the richness of the tradition of the Minnesota Twins. And four years in, we're just simply scratching the surface of being part of that. Uh, The fact that the door's been open has been a blessing. Uh, we aspire to make contributions uh, over a longer time horizon, so that we can be part of this community for a long time because it's been so open and welcoming. But I would certainly say, as we enter our fourth spring training, a lot more familiarity. There is a lot of change. You referenced it earlier. We've got a lot of new coaches here. We've got a lot of new players in. Uh, But we also have the same energy that was palpable from day one last year, which helped carry us forward to winning the Central.
0: It was George Allen, I think, the old Redskins coach, had the quote, uh, the future is now, when he had an older team. And the future is definitely now for a Twins team that is prepared to win in 2020 and won an awful lot last year. But in your role, you have to almost have like trifocals when you look at your roster. You've got to look at your current 26. You have to look at your 40-man, who's going to be able to supplement. You're going to need – maybe all of them, over the course of the next eight months. And you also have to be looking out two, three, five years in advance with all those bodies on the other side of the complex. How do you organize that in your brain as you're evaluating the Twins roster or rosters, as the case may be?
2: Well, I think you, you have to be spending equal parts on both of those endeavors at the same time. We, we are really blessed right now as a fan base. I, I count myself as a member of that fan base where we have what we hope to be a top 6-8 to eight team in the major league level and a top 6-8 to eight farm system at the same time. And, and that's really fortuitous. You said, George Allen said, the future is now. I would say the future is not only now for the Twins, but the future is also in the future, which is a pretty exciting balance. We're not, we're not really robbing the future to, to try to maximize the now. Uh, the, the move with trading Gratterall in the draft pick and really for Kenta Maeda was probably the most pronounced move we made towards those ends, but we still sit with a number of guys in the industry's top 100 prospect list. We think some of those guys are really going to take meaningful steps forward this year based upon health and what we're seeing in terms of offseason progress. So I, I think we split our time. We, we stay engaged with the Major League product, uh, but by and large that, that's a group that is going to mature on its own throughout spring training. We don't over-evaluate performances down here. We we spend a lot of our time investing on the, the minor league side to make sure that all the resources necessary to elevate that group of people to support the major league team this year and then ultimately be a huge part of it moving forward. Uh, and that's where i'd say our focus more primarily lies in spring training
0: and we'll also hear from alex Hassan on this program next week the director of player development to kind of talk a bit about what's going on on the other side of the parking lot you mentioned health that it's always critical for any team a couple guys in particular that have piqued my interest one always byron buxton Uh, you probably have to rein him in to keep him from doing too much too soon the other guy, and it's been kind of under the radar, is Jorge Polanco, so critical to this team's success. I know it was a minor cleanup technically, but the only minor surgeries are the ones that aren't happening to you, uh, and, and I would ask, how health-wise are those two guys entering their official report date in the coming week and, and on into spring?
2: I I will address them both individually, but I would say the theme for both those guys is very positive. Uh, you nailed it. Uh, Byron was evaluated yesterday when he came in, had a full physical, and, and the message is the same, which is that he may actually be ahead of schedule. He is hitting now. I, you know, We are going to treat both of these players on a long-term view. So whether they're going to be ready for the beginning of spring training, not really our focus. Whether they're even ready for opening day, that that will be something we certainly will be more focused on. But we're going to take these these guys with, with some patience in mind, and, and we're going to let them tell us when they're ready to take the next step. And we're going to also adhere to the plans from their, their surgeons to make sure we're handling them as responsibly as we possibly can. The good news is I saw Jorge Polanco hitting in the cage today. He was working out by himself at the time. It looked terrific. The ball was jumping off the bat, and Byron is smiling from ear to ear in the clubhouse, and his electricity that he brings, Uh, We all know it on the field. I I can imagine the fans can appreciate what he does in the clubhouse. When he smiles, everyone smiles. He's here in full force. They're making real progress towards getting back on the field and being completely healthy. We're going to manage that throughout the spring. We'll be patient, but I think the, the future is very bright for both those guys and the prognosis is very optimistic.
0: Now, good news there on that front, and also at that, and it goes hand in hand. That means opportunity, right? Opportunity for other players to impress Rocco, the staff, as well as the front office.
2: Well, we have so many young players in camp. Uh, I, I think our minor league group did such a tremendous job of developing these young guys. And we have brought a lot of these guys en masse. So a lot of the guys who contributed to the playoff run in Pensacola are here. The the, the group group. That was at AAA last year, quite a few of whom, unfortunately, got hurt late in the season. But for those injuries probably would have been up in the big leagues at the end of the year. All of those guys are here. So the next line of defense and the line of defense after that are all here, and they're chomping at the bit to get opportunities to play. So they will be getting those opportunities early in camp. And then as our regulars start getting tuned up for, for opening day and the guys get a little healthier, uh, they'll get the, the playing time that will be necessary to get them – all ready for, for the season. But in the meantime, I think we're really excited to see those guys from Pensacola and those guys from, from Rochester come up here and battle it out uh, because the, there's a lot of energy of guys who are spending their first time in, in big league camp or maybe the first time when they have a bona fide opportunity to really showcase their skills. And uh, that's really energizing to, to see down here in Fort Myers.
0: Great stuff, Thad. As always, even mixing a champion at the bit reference, which I definitely appreciate. I'll let you get back to working on your tan or hitting the cold tub, whichever you need after day one of workouts. Uh, and uh, we'll uh, catch up with you throughout the course of the Grapefruit League and on into what should be a really fun 2020.
2: A lot of Absorbing Jr. being used over here.
0: <laughs> this segment brought to you by Absorbing Jr. This is the Twins Hot Stove Show brought to you by Killebrew Root Beer. And Killebrew Root Beer goes awfully well. Uh, in that uh, Florida sun as well we want to thank that of course for joining us so graciously here on day one of workouts also Mitch Garver for joining us after day one of pitchers and catchers and if you missed anything of course be sure to go ahead and check out our podcast wherever you find twins podcast for all the bonus material from Mitch and Fad here today. we got one more of these remaining, and then we get to actually have some baseball games to matter. It's coming up next week, our final hot stove show right here on your home for Twins Baseball.
1: You've been listening to the Twins Hot Stove Show, sponsored by Brew Root Beer. Locally owned and operated, it's how memories are created and legends are made.
0: This has been a presentation of a Treasure Island Baseball Network.